Stardate. What is the Stardate? Make up on it. is 1203.2020. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new Star Trek and beyond. Beyond, beyond, beyond. I'm your reluctant captain, Mike Moody Garcia. With me on the view screen, we have Mariah Gossett and Grant Davis. Tonight, we are streaming the pod live on YouTube, on Twitch, Facebook, and Twitter to review and break down Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 6, The Sanctuary. But before we carry on, Mariah, can you let everyone know how to support this podcast? I can. So there's a few ways you can help us out. Uh, First of which is to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, you know, Apple, Spotify, wherever you prefer to listen to us. Uh, You can also leave us a review specifically on Apple Podcasts. That also really helps us out. All of that and more is at StarTrekPod.co. Another way you guys can help us out is through a little site called Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash StarTrekPod. Go there. And you can support this show by giving us a per episode pledge. That means if we put out an episode, if we put out content for y'all, you get charged two bucks. And if we don't, no charge. But if you guys are supporting this little project of ours at $2 an episode, you get access to our exclusive Slack channel. And there you can join a bunch of other like-minded, open-minded, friendly, lovable people. Trekkies. It's exclusive. You can join them. And chat all about Trek. We also try and do a little bonus exclusive stuff for you guys. I said exclusive again. Exclusive. There we go. <laughs> uh, we, we, we'll talk about the movies and do our reviews of those. We'll talk about uh, best of seven of nine series or um, ladies of Trek that Mike and Mariah have been covering. And occasionally we'll, we'll play little quizzes and games where we see... Uh, which awful Trek character I've never heard of, I'm apparently just like. <laughs> um, anyway, that's uh, patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. We appreciate so much all of you who have supported us. And uh, we appreciate the rest of you who still just listen to us, even if you haven't taken the plunge into Patreon territory. We love you all. For sure. Thank you. And if you are joining us for the first time, we, we're not all... Uh, we we all had the we have different levels of of Trek fandom in this podcast. So Grant is a newbie, Mariah is a Voyager head, is getting into DS Nine, loves TOS as well, uh, and I love it all except for Enterprise. opportunity Trekkie. Yeah, so I mostly love it all. Clyde isn't uh, here, but he he writes fanfic. He loves mm-hmm. it so much. Mm-hmm. No slash fic. Clyde slash writes a slash fic. <laughs> supposedly we haven't been able to read any of that (laughs) one day we'll get it out of him (laughs) one day and if you are watching us live toss us some comments and questions in the live chat be sure to type capital pod capital p capital o capital d if you want us to see your comment and maybe uh mention it on the pod a little later tonight all right let's execute hit it hit it whatever pump it Pump Carry it. on. <laughs> Let's get into it. The Sanctuary was written by Kenneth Lynn and Brandon A. Schultz, directed by number one himself, Jonathan Frakes. <clears throat> oh, this is this Frakes? is the one. Ugh, yeah, mm-hmm. I should hate this probably. <laughs> <laughs> Given that last episode, he did. 
this is the one where Disco travels to Book's home planet to save it from a conflict with the Emerald Chain. Adira and Stamets start to identify the origin of the burn, and it's linked to that mysterious song we've been hearing. And Dr. Colbert helps Giorgio deal with her brain wonkiness, despite Giorgio's petulance at every turn. And other stuff happened. We'll get into it, but... <clears throat> Sorry, guys. I'm a little tired tonight. Other stuff happened. We'll get into it. But now, uh, I must remind you, this is Star Trek Discovery Pod. We don't give you hot takes. Oh, no, no, no. We give you hot freaks. Oh, uh, if y'all aren't watching us <laughs> on YouTube, you're really missing out on some of the editorial goodness that Grant has been giving us. <laughs> Such a great filmmaker, Grant Davis. Yeah. Apparently, um, you can uh, just put people's faces on other people's bodies now. And it's <laughs> it's a dangerous new world, but I'm, I'm making the most of it as well I can. Oh, man. Deep fakes. <laughs> <laughs> Deep fakes. There All right. Um who wants to give me their hot break on this episode first? Uh, I'll go first because I wasn't here last week. I got to see there was some great stuff that I thought happened last week, as well as some some corny and truncated scenes where they like, oh, let's have this really cool um, tribunal or whatever that thing was. And then let's really rush it because we also have all these other plots that we have to do. So it's your, your argument's going to have to be made in about like 20 seconds. I was a little annoyed by that, but... Uh, I did like the emotional breakthrough stuff that was going on with Burnham and how that kind of carried into this episode with her her showing she has a lot more direction in, in what she's wanting. However, it does seem that, um, once again, the discovery goes wherever Burnham tells them to. <laughs> so she's leading the charge, and they're, they're going through with all of it. That said... Um, getting to have this uh, meet the, meet the parents kind of romantic vacation between Burnham and Book was was lovely. I, I love their relationship as it's carried forward in this episode. Um, seeing Tilly take uh, take charge as the XO is is fun, and I'm loving the direction there. Uh, Detmer got a little bit of a win here with being able to uh, free herself from from I guess the the PTSD that's going on and just kind of take charge of a moment going into manual and we got um we got the the coming out scene with Adira which was once again charming with with Stamets so I thought it was just a it's a it's a fun episode and it has definitely revealed that one of our biggest bads is going to be Osira and and the chain who are going to be an ongoing problem. So overall in Trek, this was a fun episode that was maneuvering for bigger elements to be at play ongoing. All right, Mariah, you want to go next? Yeah, I, uh, I agree with you, Grant. I really liked this episode overall. I thought there was some smart continuation of sort of this new future world building that we're getting. I feel like we finally have slowed down a little bit from the fire hose of information we were having to get. And now we're slowly sort of figuring out um, the reputation of our, our big bad in Osira. I'm going to just call her evil Alphaba. <laughs> 
which I saw on Twitter today. No one else watched Wicked. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> sure, it is another um, Trek reference, I think. It. Nope, it is not. It is a Broadway musical. Ha <laughs> ha. Other fandoms. Um, but Those aren't I, allowed here. Not true. Um, <laughs> I was like, we talk about way too many other things. Um, we also Very haven't true. talked about uh, the the show that shall not be named by Grant in a long time, but... Um, anyway, I'll bring it up. I, I thought, um, you know, there were some things that I think are giving us some interesting breadcrumbs that are hopefully going to lead us to figuring out what is sort of at the root cause of the burn. Um, what is to me very interesting is how many more negative things we're hearing about the Federation throughout this series. And I thought this was, you know, proving that to be on multiple levels. Cause now we've heard it from people who like last week, have typically been our um, allies in the Vulcans. Um, and now again, from folks who are obviously our, our big bads here in the Orions and um, the Andorian syndicate, um, which I love that their like catchphrase is uh, the, the, ch- the chain is heavy or you'll feel like the, the weight of the chain, <laughs> like all these chain references, I think is kind of interesting. Um, and, I I like it. It reminds me of the original series and like those sort of witty little catchphrases at the ends of things. Um, But yeah, I thought this episode did a good job of balancing, like moving us forward within the plot. Some great fun action sequences. I thought uh, Kayla's whole sort of overcoming her PTSD and figuring out it, everything on her own terms was fantastic. Um, Burnham and Book continue to have just like the most outrageous chemistry ever. And then I thought the coming, um, you know, out scene for uh, Adira was very touching and and also not overly played, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a super fun episode. It felt like the show was firing on all cylinders in this one. This was actually one of my favorites of the season. I enjoyed this a lot. Like it wasn't the deepest episode. It wasn't like a groundbreaking episode. It wasn't like there weren't any big reveals to the mysteries of the season or anything. It it was kind of a basic mission of the week for the most part. But the story was really engaging. There were some credible emotional stakes woven into the main plot with Book. The direction by Frakes was really confident. The pace was just pitch perfect. Wasn't too fast, wasn't too slow. Everything just felt really confident and assured and very Star Trek. Um, Like from the main plot to the smaller character beats, particularly with Adira, uh, Saru, and Detmer. Even Tilly got some great moments here. Really good stuff. Wonderful character moments woven into this entire episode. Plus, we got signs that book um, is going to stay around and... The book Burnham relationship is heading in a good direction. Hopefully they don't fucking kill him off. We'll see. <laughs> I'm worried about it. Um, the Dr. Col- the Dr. Colbert Philippa scenes were just like pure candy and also super engaging. The way this just the way this one helped move a lot of the overall story forward, particularly with the burn and the fight against the chain was just ah, food replicator programmers kiss <laughs> sorry uh yeah th- there was some cheese for sure uh but some people live for the cheese i'm not one of them but those people are out there and i'm glad it was there for them um just really all the character moments really 
brought this one together for me. Uh, the main plot was fun, even though it was kind of a, we kind of been there, done that before with this kind of plot. But yeah, I dug it. I thought it was really fun, really assured episode leading into the back end of the season. You know, one of my um, one of my favorite things to see is how they've continued to grow Saru's character in his his confidence in becoming the the commander. Is that the right term? Captain, captain, the captain. Um, and Amazing. when he's facing down against Osira, the threats are coming on pretty heavy, and he has one of those moments of, "I have to make a decision of how I'm going to handle this." Because I, I, that is the whole thing, right? <laughs> it's it's never as clean cut as oh, if it gets dangerous, just you know, tuck tail and run. It's now someone is now Burnham's down on the planet, and we have to engage. And what are the ideals of Starfleet? And he 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 just handles it in such the proper way. I love it. Yeah, uh, I'm really loving Saru this season. Um, like he showed us again. He's a brilliant captain, like negotiating and framing things he to get like loves ad- diplomacy. Yeah, yeah, to get <laughs> like at the admiral was like, no, you're not going to go on this mission. But he like framed it in a way that convinced the admiral just like that, and like the way he's like staying within protocol, sort of when going against the emerald chain. That was really cool. I love that his project of finding a, a catchphrase is this little secret matter between him and Tilly. That was some really fun, winky Star Trek stuff there. (laughs) They're terrible. (laughs) Even the one that was supposed to be good is like, no, that's not good. Just hit it. Hit it. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. Each one. I I hope that this running gag just keeps going where he can never find one. It's a different different phrase every episode. Yeah, I'm really enjoying Saru and Tilly. And I think Tilly in this episode was out to prove everyone who was unsure wrong, right? I know a lot of people are like, Tilly is not it. And and do I think she's proven it all the way? Not yet, but I can see, you know, the confidence is there. I think this was the confidence boost that she sort of needed after the emotional turmoil of, of jumping through time um, <laughs> and leaving her entire life behind. Uh, and now she has like a new sort of refined purpose. And so Tilly's definitely a someone to me that that can sort of fall into her work wholeheartedly and it's like a helpful distraction from Mm. the rest of the world um and so watching her be so confident in reporting to saru and then you know on the bridge essentially being like oh i am a rule follower but i also know the rules so well that i'm going to figure out how to break them and we're just going to stick detmer into book ship and have him do it even though you know we, we all know the Emerald Chain is going to take that as an attack from the Federation, even if it wasn't a Federation ship that did it. But it was like a nice way to sort of kind of cover their butts when we know the Admiral's going to get probably really mad about it. <laughs> yeah, they have some some wiggle wiggle room there. I was super excited to see that Tilly is XO, by the way. I missed the last episode, mm-hmm. but uh, I, yeah. I kind of called it. Well, at least that was my first guess. I was like, oh, maybe it could be Tilly. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was really excited about that. But then like to see her her first scene is like, her like taking like scheduling notes and like planning his itinerary and it it felt very west wing to me but also not very what michael burnham would have done like tilly 
Tilly has his back. She's looking out for his schedule. She's making things work efficiently for him. But then also like when uh, that Ryu or whatever his dude, Rin, walks in the room and she's like, you'll respect, you'll give him respect when you talk to him. I was like, fuck yeah, Tilly. Yeah, dude. Mary Wiseman like played Tilly, yeah. I think more confidently than ever. Right. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. totally, that totally tracks with how I think the character would be acting after seeing like Saru put his trust in her. And making her acting first officer. And of course, after gaining all that support from her crewmates in the last episode, she's really standing tall and seems to be like super sure of herself more than ever before. Not in like an authoritarian way, but in a sure-footed, like real kind of way. Um, But yeah, she showed it right. Like I was with you, Grant, at the beginning. She was like taking notes for Saru and stuff. But they also had a, a good... Uh, uh, kind of even-footed rapport. But then when um, Ren walked into the room and she was like, mm-hmm. you don't disrespect my captain that way. But then she was being she was being firm, but it felt, uh, it she wasn't belittling him. She was just kind of setting the tone. We're like, we're here to respect you and you respect us. Mm-hmm. And she really owned that moment. And from then on, she just felt like, a solid first officer in this episode. This was a great debut for the character as first officer on the ship. After a lot of people were like, no, she shouldn't have that. Uh, this character should not have that rank. I do think it's in, in the back of my mind, I find it very funny that she's like having all of these moments with Ren, knowing that her husband plays that character. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> uh, I, I thought this was interesting in our chat. Um, Kern points out like kind of what I was saying. It felt like, uh, she was acting a little bit more like the personal assistant rather than the first episode, uh, first officer in this episode. But um, stress free K brings up that she's in training, like a like a production assistant, which I think is yeah. a really good point. Like she points out to Saru in her reservations that like she never went through the officer training. She's mm-hmm. probably not familiar with a lot of this background protocol. So probably walking through the halls and running through an agenda with him and like helping in that capacity, at least at first before being able to delegate it gives her much more confidence in knowing how to operate in this realm versus with Stamets. But, but in terms of like um, just owning the role and having that confidence boost and projecting that like a first officer should, where she could give confidence to others in the room when they need it. She really showed that in this episode. And I think it was a good pick. Maybe she won't be acting first officer for long. Maybe she'll be full-time first officer. We'll see. Yeah, First officer Killy. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we go talk about the beginning of this episode where we have Giorgio getting checked over by Colbert? Because... She was being mean to Colber, and I was not okay with that. I mean, but he... <laughs> I was he like, hey. So... She's mean to everybody who's not Burnham. <laughs> yeah, she really is. And But the thing with Colber is, like, he can throw it back. Like, those quippy lines back and forth, that's the thing. I feel like they're very mentally equally adversaries in that kind of way. He was where fine. He's like, I wasn't fine. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't fine <laughs> that he was, she was being mean to him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like the two of them together and like his body language of just like leaning back in the chair being like, you can throw all of this at me all you want, but I know that I am right and I have to help you and we're going to figure this out. Um, 
you know, and then they essentially take her through one of her her episodes so that they can try to get this this full scan and she sort of starts to like digital herself out and um it's like it's so hard because the clip that they showed this week on the ready room is like a complete spoiler to solve what is wrong with with Giorgio. Um, at least the explanation we get from the Federation. So I'd, I'd like to save that talk for the end at least. But what that piece plus what we've heard now from, you know, we now have this source as we found in the beginning of this episode coming from this nebula, right? And so that's where the music is coming from. But the baseline of that music is actually a Federation distress call. And that's where the source of the burn like the location of the source of the burn is coming from, which leads me to think, did the, did the Federation cause the burn? I mean, they were investigating, trying to do some other method of, of warp travel to not have to use dilithium. They, they already had the, um, I don't know. I was going to call them, uh, Klingon, not Klingon, uh, Romulan and Vulcan people, whatever the, the merging group was called, had them believing that they did it because of their technology trying to investigate this. It's it's possible. We're kind of in a holding pattern with the burn. It feels like we got we got some momentum here. Kind of very curious but odd that the music was a Federation distress signal. Like what does that mean? I'm not sure what that means, but it makes me even more curious to find out what the deal is and who we're going to find at the end of that distress signal. Right. It just seems it's, it's interesting to me, you know, it's like, how do we know we can actually trust this current version of the Federation at all? Right. Like we we know we can trust, (laughs) right. Like we know we can trust our crew that we know, and we've known for the last two seasons. Um, But it's like Admiral Vance, let them, go on this mission and to me i'm like is this like a small distraction from them working on finding the source of the burn also we still don't know a ton about our big uh, mr glasses you know (laughs) um and what role he could possibly play it's also interesting to me oh man it's so hard not to talk about that clip but (laughs) it it has something to do with going back and forth through time i haven't seen it let's let's not spoil yeah yeah so anyway it has something to do with time um and, but to me, it's like, but what if this dude did something to Giorgio to make this actually happen to her? And the explanation that he's giving is just a complete red herring. Mm, okay. I want to go back to Colber and Giorgio again, like with the Giorgio stuff, with the burn stuff, not a lot revealed here about what's going on with Giorgio, but I'm okay being in kind of a holding pattern if what they're going to give us with it is really good character beats and character interaction because the stuff with Colbert and Giorgio was great. Like it's, it's nice to see Giorgio interact with Colbert a lot for the first time since he's mainly the ship's counselor now, I guess like he's not even the main doctor on the ship, but everyone seems to go to him (laughs) whenever they need advice or anything. Um, Their dynamic was really intense. She was just projecting this, invulnerable cold exterior and Colbert's just being forceful and meeting her where she is at every turn. Like more and more this season, Colbert seems to be able to confidently adapt to new situations better than anybody. It feels like, and I'm loving that. 
the mycelial network was the best thing for that guy. Just needed yeah. a good vacation <laughs> there for a while, I guess. <laughs> Just complete rejuvenation. Being, being murdered and rebuilt by mushrooms can do wonders for the skin. Um, her dressing Wilson up like, Cruz. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, her, her dressing up like a sperm and saying that was Oh, that was line. so good. <laughs> But Wilson Cruz, I'm so I'm so happy that he's getting such a spotlight on this in this season. Like he killed in this episode. He's proving that he is more than up to the challenge of portraying Colbert as this like deep three-dimensional character. They can throw all kinds of dramatic stuff at him and he can take it. Like he's really good. We actually saw the other doctor who was I thought the yeah. the lead doctor in the first episode. She popped up alongside Colbert. Just for a little bit to help out and then disappeared. That's what I'm saying. She's the lead doctor, but nobody goes to her. Yeah, I was like, where would she go? <laughs> She's the one who was scanning Detmer the other day. You're fine. Please leave. Mm, okay. And Colbert was like, she is not fine. Colbert's well, taking the you know, There's, There's definitely, I think we've all encountered those uh, those doctors that are definitely more like everything is about physiology versus, you know, Colbert mm-hmm. seems to be more of like the holistic mind, body, soul sort of doctor, if you will. <laughs> right making sure everything's in check. But but yeah, it, I love that moment too when he, you know, knows that she's going to go try to, to go down and save Burnham. And so he has to go find her right away. And he's just like, you are not going to be able to save her. You're going to go and become a burden. So you need to just come back with me. And he's standing there with the two like bodyguard security personnel. And it's just like, I told you to not go. You know, it's like the scolding from Culber. <laughs> oh, maybe I was incorrect. Maybe uh, it, Pollard is the other doctor. Mm-hmm. Lower Dr. than, than Culber. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, mm, I thought Pollard was the chief medical officer. I don't know. Yeah. They don't discuss I mean, that much I on think, the show. So. I think <laughs> I she think was when, when Culber was not, was dead. And then I don't know what, what's been... Uh, ch- what's changed since he came back? I'm gonna find uh, out. You guys vamp. Yes, we'll we'll keep going. Well, well do um, you want to talk about Adira? No, he's just a physician. He's not the chief medical officer. Oh, oh good to know. Oh. Um, but yeah, I uh, we can we can go ahead and talk about Adira. You know, I love that they are building them up as such a intelligent, you know, uh, addition to the crew because I I like that it is proving that they're sort of desire to be a part of this ship and this crew is is purposeful you know it isn't just like oh this is this kid that wants to hitch a ride and you know sort of become you know the there's like that trope in a lot of sci-fi shows where it's like the kid that's along for the ride you know and this is definitely not that they are like a very useful part of the crew because of their knowledge base and what they can bring to the table um and then we just get that really simple interaction between Adira and Stamets of, hey, by the way, I this is not how I identify. These are my pronouns. Use them from now on. And it's just like, okay, let's go. It was great. I mean, Adira comes out to Stamets, the person she trusts most on this ship. Dad. <laughs> Pretty much. I saw some folks on Twitter calling it's like dad and and, and Poppy, like <laughs> with, mm-hmm, with, with mm-hmm. Stamets and Colbert. <laughs> Papa and Poppy. Mm-hmm. I don't identify as non-binary or, or trans, so I might be speaking incorrectly here, but I just want to say that I really like the way this was portrayed. With Adira just blurting it out the way she did, that they- felt very vulnerable and realistic for a teenager. That was great. And it wasn't a huge deal. It was like, 
a relatively small, lovely little moment. Like you said, Mariah, they did not overplay it, which is perfect. I, I think that our our modern sensibilities like play a factor in how that was handled here. Because I feel like in the 32nd, I don't know what century they're in right. now, 38, it would just kind of be like, like Adira says that and, and Samus goes, tight, okay, I just updated your pronouns on your profile. Everyone will refer to you that way. All right. No, I get that. It was, like, that, it was handled with like a, a good degree of, of sensitivity and care, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, there are two things going on. One, Star Trek is reflecting our current situation, obviously, like right. it always does. And and two, they Adira is also dealing with so many identity issues because of the trill. So it would make sense that Adira needs to say this. And re reaffirm who they are. And for Stamets to recognize that was great. Agreed. And I think, you know, on like the, the backside of things, I think this particular iteration of Trek is doing such a great job at um, doing the education, not only through the characters, but also for their cast and crew. Like um, in the ready room, they had a great interview with, uh, with Blue and with Ian, um, talking about their characters. And then I saw today that like apparently Glad did an entire training for all of like the production crew for Trek 2. One of the editors oh, was so. talking about how great the the training was. And so um, I think it's just really nice to see a support system that is letting these pr- actors really show their craft um, and do so in an environment that is actually conducive to them producing their best work because they don't have to worry about all of this other bull crap that normally a lot of people have to deal with in the workplace. So, um, and it's nice to just see this little family. I'm really hoping we get to see these characters interacting a little bit more outside of the engineering bubble as well, because don't get me wrong. I love the like little LGBTQ like rainbow family we have in engineering right now, but I'd like love to see some more interactions happening with some of the other crew members too. Cause I, at one point I was like, man, Stamets just really follows uh, Adira around, like interrupting their music time. So um, I right. hope that uh, we get to see some, some expansion there. It's just checking on him. Uh, mm-hmm. PW Gregory says in the chat, glad they said on the show that, uh, or rather, glad that Adira said that they always felt that way about um, identifying as they, them. And it wasn't a part of the, the Trill symbiote because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Gregory knew people were worried about that, which I, th- I think is a, a good point. Um, that, that was one of the things we were discussing earlier on is like making, making that point pretty clear. Right. Yeah. Like this isn't also in any way tied to this. I have all these voices of all these identities kind of mixed up inside of me. It is. I've always felt this way. It's a separate issue. Yeah. And uh, the issue Adir was having was potentially I need to reassert my identity. This is who I always was. Mm hmm. And, and how that coincided this is how you need to refer to me. Yeah, yeah. how that coincided with um Gray detaching from from their lives and no longer having that kind of um that that connection while also all these other people interfering in Adira's life in the background and not knowing who they're going to have to deal with that day. So I, I, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It, it's good about like 
I, I want to be recognized how I need to be recognized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very much. What did you guys think about Osira? The big bad. Bangs. You know, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the bangs were, I like that we've gotten to know this big bad, like knowing her, Osira through the actions that we've seen throughout this season, rather than having to see them physically do it, if that makes sense. So it's like the reputation precedes her, you know, and then we get to see the confirmation when she murders her nephew and we find out that she also murdered her brother and like <clears throat> is just very okay with uh, killing anyone who comes in her way. And so, you know, this late in the game, I think I was a little disappointed in the reveal just because we've been waiting for so long. But I think the actress did a really great job of embodying this particular character. And I really liked the interaction between Osira and Saru. Um, because there's that moment where Saru, you know, like we know now that the Orions seemingly had like the women as enslaved people, um, but they were really in charge of everything. And so it's like this very interesting back and forth where Saru essentially just doesn't have the knowledge of that. And so that little equippingness back and forth to me was like a very layered and interesting conversation. P.W. Gregory says, big bad, more like mid bad. Am I right? (laughs) People in the chat aren't really feeling Osira. I thought kind of a standard heavy, right? Kind of a stereotypical villain, but like she kills those who fail her. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a family member, she makes threats and she's bad, right? But I love that. I love that she's a woman in charge. And I think that the actor, uh, Janet Kidder, is doing a pretty solid job. Um, Also, I have to second that, Mariah. It's so cool that the the women Orions aren't half-naked enslaved people like they used to be portrayed in Star Trek before. They can also be evil big bats with their own agency and agenda. So, right on. It just felt like a, a typical Star Trek villain, for, especially when you guys have had me watch those movies. Um, <laughs> I, I, the, there wasn't a lot of complexity or, or new, nuance to the background of the character. And I, I'm I'm hoping that maybe we'll see something a little bit more interesting down the line, but is it's just more like she's hot headed and wants to control things. I I thought that the 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 writers gave a lot more interesting nuance to the guy in the first episode or the second episode um, mm, in the yeah, saloon the guy from uh, yeah who, the guy from medium yeah he's yeah. like hey there's a hole to fill. And in need and, and control and power, I just stepped in. I took that. And and without me, these people are going to be left to potentially even worse people. So this mm-hmm. is who they got to deal with. And I was like, he's he's evil. He's awful. <laughs> and, I, and at the same time, I got a little sense of his own personal justification for that. Whereas she's just like, hey, nephew, you failed me. Off to the worm pit with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to come out in here and blast, 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 blast. And I was just like, eh, I hope they give more to the character going forward. Well, with her presence uh, like over the planet and threatening the planet, it was some pretty solid detailing about how the chain exploits and manipulates people all over the galaxy. And in this episode, we saw how they tear families apart, you know, with Book and his brother. Mm-hmm. So 
Like there was nothing groundbreaking here, but it was all very solid and well done in terms of like showing the grip of the chain and who leads it and why they need to be taken down. Yeah, it's like it's very interesting to see both the parallels and the differences that could be made between the Emerald Chain and the Federation, right? Because the Federation also usually steps in to help out planets when they are in need of something, which then usually ties them to having to be a part of the Federation and working with them, um, you know, with some sort of exchange of goods or services happening. Um, and it's interesting to see it from the the evil side, right? <clears throat> that we that we think so far of these folks who are coming into these planets even pre-warp planets and saying like oh we're going to save you from this thing but in exchange we're going to take all of your precious resources um i yeah it's anyway i'm i'm wondering mariah if what they're they're showing they they really did a lot of hinting this episode about the federation being problematic for a lot of people they broke promises mm-hmm. they they were no longer reliable for a lot of people. And maybe what happened is more that the chain was able to step in and help a lot of people. But mm-hmm. at the, the the cost of that is they aren't they aren't necessarily as principled and there are much more bad agents out there. And maybe the Federation we we don't know. Our ex- our exposure to the Federation is this little bubble with Vance who has a few interaction scenes with um, them and it's kind of throwing uh, a lot of tension between Burnham and Saru. That's like what he does. And he's like, go ahead on this mission. I control things, but otherwise I'm kind of just this dude in the background. Yeah. And we've had lines that um, the disco crew is still being blocked from certain information gathering in the Federation. And it's interesting that in this episode and in the last episode, we have characters who are like, oh, I'm coming around to the Federation. Like, um, last episode was the the Vulcan president, right? Mm-hmm. And this episode, we had the arc with um, Ren, the Andorian. Mm-hmm. Like, the arc with him starting to realize the Federation is much more trustworthy than he was meant to believe. Like, that felt good and well-earned, but it was followed up right by book becoming a true believer like the the ep ends with him kind of wanting it seemed like he wanted to join the federation maybe join starfleet right yeah and that just tells me that we're in for a twist right we're well, what we have seeing? all these all these people who mistrust the federation disco showing them a better way of how the federation could be mm-hmm. but it's disco showing them an example of the federation that they haven't seen because the federation is dark yeah people are signing up with discovery not the federation mm-hmm. right. and that's kind of the yeah. problem mm-hmm. everyone thinks that discovery represents the federation and discovery themselves as evidence in the last episode when burnham was like i speak for the federation do you do you really know what's going on because us the audience sure are suspect to whatever's happening with the federation Right. And yeah, and it could be just because they've collapsed and it's become so small that it's just like this, you know, the um, uh, the game of telephone. Right. And that could easily be manipulated by the Emerald Chain of like, oh, we're going to plant all of these seeds of deceit about the Federation and how bad they were when maybe in reality, I'm sure there were mistakes, but they've been like amplified by these people who want to take advantage of the situation so like there is that possibility but i just feel like they've really been leaving us these little clues everywhere that we're going to find out something not so nice about our federation yeah 
Uh, Chupi has a good point here in the chat. She says, was the Federation really problematic? We've had multiple suggestions. Was that because they weren't all over, all over, they were turned into a bad, quote, bad for various people's purposes? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen evidence in previous movies, even back in the heyday of the Federation, that they weren't always that great. You had yeah. you had people that were leaving the Romulans to just like genocide and then throwing Picard under the bus. Um, you have that. You had the bad morals. Yeah, the people. Yeah, the bad people, bad admirals <laughs> who uh, were sowing a bunch of of dissent. So it's like, is the Federation great or is it just another power institution that it has layers of problems and not everyone is going to act to the ideals of of a Pike or a Saru or a Burnham? Right. The, the best of Starfleet, the best. That's who we want to follow, but there's probably a bunch yeah. of losers in the other ships. <laughs> yeah, there's this heavy theme this season of reestablishing the Federation's reputation as the shining, bright beacon of hope in in the universe. Um, and I'm starting to find that suspect, right? Yeah. I, I thought that the, the big reveal that... Um, Hey, I'm going to tell you a secret about the chain. They're low on dilithium. Was not that big of a reveal. I'm like, didn't we already know everyone is low on dilithium? They're probably all struggling right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess if the main supplier is is low in general and it is a resource that can't be recrystallized anymore, then that would that would be an issue for sure. Um, it's just just to underline for us that like this is a scarcity issue that is culminating in desperation for a lot of people galaxy wide. Yeah. And th- and that, that sort of leads me back to, to talking about the burn in particular, right? Because whoever would want to make it happen would obviously be the people who had the most control of dilithium at the time, I guess, if you're thinking about like supply and demand sort of things. And so who was at that point, the main controller of dilithium? Or was there like a secret underground dilithium, you know, trade already happening? It's the then? ears, it, it, dudes. The Ferengi? Ferengis. Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> Jar Jars, I think, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know, Mariah. Um, th- it might be, it could also be some regressive faction that is fed up with people from other worlds traveling to other worlds and influencing things and just wants to be, wants things to be more isolationist. So maybe they got rid of all the dilithium. We, I mean, it's anybody's guess at this moment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, sure. I saw some people theorizing in our chat way at the beginning, this idea that the signal of the Federation ship that's coming from the center of where the burn is, is the discovery. So the discovery like from another dimension, from maybe? another time period, jumping back in time, whatever. There's there's two discoveries mm-hmm. operating at the same time, and that this is potentially the discovery when it was uh like kind of like Calypso, where it's sending out its own signal on top of mm-hmm. the the music. But wasn't there a planet that spoke only in song in like the first or second season, and it like had some weird trigger issues for um for uh saru do you guys remember that episode yes yes it was the crystal being and he became so like hyper predator <laughs> during that mm-hmm. episode. yeah it was like running yes around. 
It was the one where it had the like big control tower that they needed mm-hmm. to alter the pattern for during the Klingon war. Um, but yeah, it was like while on the planet, Saru got like manipulated by those like forest beings. I wonder if I don't, I don't think they'll planet. backtrack. You don't think they'll like have that planet like like talk to I, another little sound? It thing. really feels like they're forging ahead and kind of forgetting a lot of that season one, season two stuff. If I'm in the writer's room, I, I would not pitch something that re- relies on one random season one episode. It was Pavo. Pavo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, I, I thought that they did something interesting, though, where when Stamets and Tilly were and Adira were showing the music to Saru, um, his ears or ear mm-hmm. holes or whatever Kelpians have um, was, was, was kind of tuned into it and able to kind of separate patterns. And was like, wait pull out just the base part of that um and it, it just kind of reminded me of how he in particular was affected by the the sound of that music planet yeah that's yeah, that's fair grant that's fair mm, okay mm-hmm. thanks i made a fair point mm-hmm. fair point if anything it's at least a nice call back to the fact that saru does have these extra abilities that some of the other crew members uh don't have i want um, to see him go full predator mode and just run I, after and start tearing people in half and oh shit. no <laughs> um i was so normally i love episodes where we get to see different um planets but i i was like oh maybe the budget's going to the back half of the season because i was like oh we're running in the woods in toronto <laughs> 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 and then we're in like a very <clears throat> nice modern house that has like a nice view of the woods of Toronto. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, it looked beautiful. The, the, fo- the fall foliage. Yeah. yeah. But the, they had those blue floaty locusts. So <laughs> those were cute. I did. I was like, Oh, the locusts are so cute for something that destroys their entire, entire crop. Yeah. I was um, like, Oh, pretty. Wait, this is a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But but uh, like in terms of effects, like super cool pew pews, awesome mm-hmm. effects during the Detmer scene. Yes. Like let's talk about Detmer. Like I was very excited to see Detmer like kind of finally punch through that wall of like fear and insecurity that she's been doing, that she's mm-hmm. been under when she's piloting. Um, it was a great idea to get her to to fly books, awesome little ship and. And wrecking Osiris shit. That was good. And fulfill cool. her bloodlust, right? Because she's like, <laughs> it seemed like it. The best part was all of your blood, Sam. It's all the blood. <laughs> and now I get to just shoot a bunch of shit. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I, I liked seeing her team up with Ren, too, the book's friend. It, Kind of boost his confidence while also trying to boost her own confidence. Like, that was good stuff. And grudge. It was great to see, arts. like, <laughs> it was great to see her, like, a representative of that bridge crew that we don't often see get like such a win. It was a little arc, but it was, it was good. Yeah. I really enjoyed her. And I thought it's, it's like a fun callback as well. A little Easter egg of her going full manual and it's the little joysticks because there is also an episode of, uh, of TNG that has Frakes go full manual and he, uh, Oh yeah. Gets the, the joystick jumps sticks. out. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's insurrection. It's uh, the, movie. Uh, the movie. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. I was like, that era. (laughs) It it was that. And then seeing uh, the crew around the table, like all giving her high fives and chatting and being like, oh, okay. They they are continually giving more and more slices that flesh out these background characters. And personally, I like this strategy of not overwhelming us with too many characters at once, 
just giving little bits and pieces and then occasionally having one break off for a particularly strong scene like Detmer got here. Or maybe we'll see one of the other characters go in a certain direction in another episode. And it just rounds out the ensemble in a, in a way that just makes me know how each one integrally fits into the bigger picture. Yeah, it makes me excited for some more fun, like, B and sort of C plot things that could possibly go on during some episodes. Because, you know, like, I think I, the one of the reasons I think I like this episode in particular is while we know we have to continue to try to solve this mystery, and then we also had sort of our, our mission of the day and trying to save Book's planet, we also did get that subplot with uh with Kayla and and her overcoming her fear and things like that and I and I thought it was like a nice way to round out the the plot of the whole episode plus it gave us the opportunity to see some fun pew pew space battle stuff <laughs> true true with meaning space battle with meaning more of it <laughs> there was something peculiar going on with book's name and Terex or something like Trex. that. Trex. Trex. It on the on the closed captions, it almost looks like T Rex, but there is a, an apostrophe. Um, what what do you guys think that was? So he had a particular name there, and he took on a different uh, Cleveland Booker or Booker Cleveland. I don't remember which one it was. Well, he he left his family because they they started working with the uh, I want to say Orion Syndicate, but it's the uh, the Orion Chain, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Emerald Chain. Um, so I guess he just tried to forge a new identity for himself. What exactly the, you know, the name means. That's what, what the significance of, of it, we don't know. Yeah, that's what I was kind of wondering if if either of you knew that there might be something else in Trek lore linking those names to something in particular. No? Not that I know of, but I would also make the guess that it's uh, possible he changed his name so that he wouldn't be as easily recognizable as being from that planet um, while working as a courier because it seems like it's a fairly unique name, possibly a family name. Um, So yeah, to me, it was a way to sort of shield his identity and his planet while he was off doing all of his, his nature rescuing. It really felt more thematically like he just wanted to leave that name behind because he, he was just, disowning his family i mean i mean this and the things going on with adira that like they know how to tie a theme together through an episode mm-hmm. which yeah for sure i i love i love how they handled adira but can we at least address the conversation where culber and stamets crammed i think the most days into a conversation that i've like i've heard <laughs> I was, I was I mean, just impressed. And I was that like, was fine. I, I thought it was, I was like, oh, that's good. Like showing like, that's how, how you navigate that conversation, how you move to talking mm-hmm. that way. But I was just right. like, that's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I mean, I think it's also possible. It seems like a lot of them because it's uh, a, a difference in speech pattern that you're not as used to hearing as often. It's probably right as well. Um. Because if you swap it out for a gendered pronoun, I bet it wouldn't have sounded as like yeah. heavy. Um, but I did think, I mean, that was like a cheese moment, but I loved that cheese moment in particular. And then we get like the little kiss at the end, which I love. And then um, I liked her like later gents. I was like, I love that line for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> love their later gents. Uh, speaking of kisses, let's talk about Burnham and Book. Still showing solid chemistry. Hot, hot, hotness all around. 
really sweet to see Book excited about showing Burnham his home and excited to take that step with him. She was really excited to take that step with him and meet his family, even if the circumstances are insane. Like they're under a potential galactic war and his brother hates him and might kill him. And uh, hey, Burnham has already met Book's fam in the form of Grudge. Grudge the cat. Is Grudge a cat? Or is it an alien species? <laughs> As a cat. Um, yeah, I liked uh, Ren's interactions with Grudge. Like that little mm-hmm. small comedic moment on that ship was was funny. And then at the very end, when we get Burnham picking up the tools, being like, oh, I'm going to go fix your ship. And I'm like, well, I think y'all are going to go do something else before you fix the ship. <laughs> uh, Chippy says Burnham and Book seem like a real couple. Yeah, they're doing an incredible job. Um, And I know, I think we talked about this after the first episode about how they didn't really get to do a chemistry test before they started filming together. And I was like, whoever was the casting director in charge of finding finding Book uh, and fulfilling that character to be this counterpart to Burnham did like just a phenomenal job. Grant, you want to go through some of the comments to see if we have any that we can answer? Uh, yeah, if you guys are listening to us right now on YouTube, you can go ahead and put POD in front of your comment and post it on there, and we will see that, and we will bring it up and discuss it. I did want to bring up real quick before we do that, that I, I think that we've seen the past few episodes that Burnham Burnham is the driving force in what the discovery does and Vance crosses his arms and says, no, you can't do that. And Burnham does it. Vance says, go ahead and do that. And Burnham does it in a little bit of a different way. (laughs) But, um, I feel like they, the show is trying to portray Burnham as in the wrong. And I don't think she is in the wrong no i don't know if the show is trying to so much as like a lot of the characters and story beats and how they're reacting are trying to be like you shouldn't do that you're you're stepping out outside the line but like if you think of her motivations for wanting to save certain people i think she's she's a person who takes action even if it defies the rules and regulations and basically i just wanted to point out that she's captain america to saru's iron man in civil war (laughs) <laughs> I don't think it goes that He's far a because book Saru. Follower. <laughs> I don't think it's that it goes that far because Saru um was down with the plan to jack book ship and you know blow up Osira. This he time was really, when he gets to be in on it. He was really happy about that. But um I think B- Burnham and Saru really complement each other because she is w- when she's talking to the Admiral, she's like, We gotta go, we gotta do this, let us do this now. And Saru is right there with her, but he conveys it in a more diplomatic way. It's slightly more manipulative way that gets them what they need to do. He, they get the okay because of Saru. So they both have the passion. Um, in this moment, he's just able to funnel it into a more, a nicer package to get things done. So yeah, they work well together. True that. Yeah, I think they work well. And then the other thing is like, Honestly, Burnham acts just like every other captain we have seen in Star Trek. Like, like Pike <laughs> is, is like this. Kirk is like this. Not Picard. Picard. Is like Picard. No. Sometimes is like this. Saru is way more of a Picard like analog than 
then I don't know. I feel like there's yeah. plenty of Picard being being a little riskier, or at least letting Riker talk him into being riskier, right? Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I just like I think Burnham and and there's been there was like a lot of Trek drama on the internet this week in particular um, because there was I I don't even want to like go into it, but there's obviously there's problematic people on the internet big surprise um and and a lot of it had to do around critiquing burnham for a lot of actions that are so celebrated from white men captains in particular and so it's like let's you know i get I, i i get your points about saru being like this nice balance but i also think uh what Burnham is doing in another, in other senses would be taken as being like this strong-willed captain. This roguish someone, cowboy kind of right, thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I, I have, exactly. I, I have no problem with her characterization and how she passionately goes about things. I think that's right. great. I just, I'm talking about what the writers are trying to do thematically. They're just trying to balance these characters out. Oh, have yeah, one yeah, be yeah. a little more, a little more fierce and brash and one be a little more diplomatic. Right. And they're, they're right. adding to that tension with like this, this problem in the, the chain of command, because if, if the buck's supposed to stop with Saru and yet she's stealing ships and going off and blasting stuff while he's supposed to be accountable for that, it does add an interesting dynamic to that. Even right. though I, I do agree with you, Mariah, that there's probably this this gendered problem of of how the fan base might be also reacting to that rather than oh, being yeah. like, right. oh, fuck, yeah, she did that. That's yeah. awesome. She's yeah. renegade, oh, right. just oh, takes yeah. charge. And, and I wasn't trying to say that y'all were critiquing her in that particular way. I just think it's like just an interesting overlap to what's been sort of happening in the zeitgeist of the fandom right now and then having the discussion in general about um, – you know, how she is being portrayed and how the crew is seeing her actions, you know, as being a little bit more rule-breaky because she spent this year outside of the Federation's sort of normalcy and now has seen that perhaps there is more flexibility needed, which I think is honestly a nice full character arc coming from how rigid she was coming from being, you know, Mm -hmm. growing up on Vulcan. Mm -hmm. And now we see someone who's like, oh, you can still get stuff done, when you are a little bit more like a cowboy diplomat, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, we we do have some uh, great comments in here. Uh, first one, Chubby's talking about the uh, conversation between Stamets and and Colbert, and the great thing is them showing uh, the the show is modeling how to have mm-hmm. that conversation, not telling us directly about it, which I think is an excellent point. Mm-hmm. Um, Chubby also said, "Oh, whoops, whoops, where'd I go? Where'd I go? Oh." Bop, bop. Uh, she asks, what should Saru's catchphrase be? What do you guys so got? Hard. I'm really bad at these. Oh, really? It's easy. Yeah. Spread Eat it. my ganglia. Ew, ew, ew. No. <laughs> <laughs> pew, pew. I don't know. Spread um, it on. Every time. No. She goes, spread it on. I like spread it on. Right. Mm -hmm. it's gotta be something like kind of proper i was wondering when they said manifest and then dismissed it how he would sound saying manifest i should that was my favorite one that they didn't use yeah i think so since they don't know that make it so was like picard's 
or at least I don't think the Discovery crew. They must have read up on it by the time they're in this century. Like they're going through all of the captains like catchphrases. There's just a whole database where you can see so that you can have your own. (laughs) What uh, what do you guys have in the chat? I want to hear yours. We have um, punch it. I do like punch it. Uh, But I think that was uh, my ganglia. uh, That was Lorca. Punch it. What? Is punch it, said uh, punch it didn't oh no 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 that was it's, uh, uh, punch it that's han solo isn't it that's han solo but kirk also says it at, no 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 um not kirk the kirk's um okay it was pike but it was kelvin pike kelvin pike there it is C- yeah. carry on <laughs> um tally ho i don't know about that Ooh. mind know. the gap <laughs> uh, i'm not sure about spank it um i spank it it depends on how he says it, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Spank it. Execute. Totally suits Saru. Oh. Didn't he try execute? And everyone's still yeah, kind of Yeah, he said like, execute. It sounded fine. Ones. He said execute. It sounded fine. But people looked at him like, what are you right. doing? So I don't He's know. trying it out. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll come to him. <laughs> I'll just do it. <laughs> do, do it. Do it. Do it. Uh, yeah, I'm with JC. I think execute suits Saru. Yeah. Uh, Mark says, Pod, what do you guys think of my theory that the ship in Nebula is from the Kelvin timeline mm. from the movies? The Kelvin timeline. Oh, no. <sighs> I, so. No. Mm, mm, do they no. want to bring the Kelvin into here? Have they no. already? Okay. They no, they don't. They can't. Are. They they really don't. I mean, unless they did some really fast streamlined, like, business negotiations between Paramount and Sony. I know they're under one company now, but that was relatively recently. I don't think that's that'll work. Yeah. Um, Lamo I know you says, don't want to know about the clip, so I'm going to not talk about it. Oh, man, you know stuff. <laughs> I know stuff. Lamo says, so, oh, what do we think? Do of you the know Bolt? stuff that totally invalidated what I just said? Yes. <laughs> well, I'll just edit that out. <laughs> it's too late. We're live. Um, I thought I liked the idea of Linus's Molt. I thought it was a good um, mm. running uh, comedic beat. I wonder how he every feels episode about has people. a Linus gag. Yeah, I wonder how people feel about peeling him, like running up to him and having kids peel skin off of him. But maybe he's I, all for it. I loved seeing Burnham interact with uh, Kahim's kid. I was just like, oh. That was like a total, like, I, I could almost see like the Sinequa come out, you know, and being like so excited about interacting with this kid on set. I just thought it was really cute. Kern says, keep the Kelvin timeline as far away from disco as they can. Oops. Yeah. I, I we, Do we really need more complication on this show? I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> um, Pod, Burnham and Saru have a good cop, bad cop routine that does complement one another. All I'm saying, yeah. Um, Bud, you sh- you should you shave to a- you should you have to you, you have, have to. Uh, okay, <laughs> Choopy, are you saying I need to shave? <laughs> you shave, all of you, go shave right now. <laughs> you have to admit, Saru was into this. He loved being able to say, "You seem to be in distress. May we help you?" Maybe yeah, that Peter was Lachlan, great. Badgie style. Yeah. <laughs> so you got that. a you got a broken tail light there, miss. Uh what can I do for you? <laughs> oh no, a thing that we certainly did not do and have absolutely no responsibility for. Of course we'll help you out. <laughs> do you think uh, do you think we're seeing Saru loosen up a little bit as as he's adapting to 
being sure. the leader of a a renegade ship. I mean, he's he, he was always presented to us as very uptight and extremely idealistic, which was in complete contrast to Lorca, who he was a second in command to. Yeah. Um, and so it feels like I'm glad he's not emulating Lorca, but he seems to be stepping a little bit outside his bounds, maybe as a result of, of Burnham. He's getting the hang I of think, it. I think it could be a little bit of Burnham, but I have a feeling that conversation with the Vulcan president also had a pretty big impact on him in seeing that he is a very strong diplomat. And so he can sort of rely on his gut feelings about these sort of things and also perhaps be a little less rigid about the Federation now that he's hearing more and more about maybe their lack of work to maintain their reputation and him sort of being trying to to fix those things so i think i think both of those things could be true um this is a setup here uh saru is taking a page from the burn book but on the burn book burn book listen solid lee's a is (laughs) speaking to my heart because she also said lorca is in the nebula Ooh, that's what Orca I've been discovery wanting discovery from the mirrorverse is the Federation. Does the Federation exist in the mirrorverse? Yeah. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's a Federation. It just, sip, the, the signal, unless someone's just replicating. Yeah. There's, there's no disco mirror, mirror disco. I don't think there was a mirror disco. No. Was it? Remember? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So what was yes. up with that? Do you think it's a mirror disco? No. Ah, questions. Well, yes. And no answers. Wait, Mariah <laughs> might have answers. I don't even know what she saw in this clip, but, but apparently it was like all the spoilers oh. to the rest of the season. All right. Okay. S- potential spoilers for the next few minutes. Whoop, Mariah, tell whoop. us about that clip. No, we can't okay. do that to people, can we? Um, I guess we can. Pretend- Here, wait, hold I up. Mean, potential spoilers. Hold up. Was, Let's do this. It's not that big of a spoiler. It's like the smallest nugget, but it's an exciting nugget. <laughs> Um, okay, and Mariah is only going to talk about what she saw on the Ready Room. Look, which it's, was, it's been I on put the a Ready banner, Room, which is CBS All Access's um, after App. show. So mm-hmm. it's out there. It's it out is, there. It is out there. You can watch it right now. You could hit pause, go watch it, and then come back if you want. Um, I like that your banner says "spoilers alert." <laughs> spoilers alert. Thank you. Not um, spoiler alert. Spoilers alert. Whatever. I'm typing quickly. And I, I hand <laughs> Thank you for the banner, Grant. Thank you. Bye, home shaky. I'm sorry. So they're curious. We can always talk about this offline. But uh, okay, I'm going to spill it. So in the clip, it is Dr. McGlasses is talking to Culver about uh, Giorgio. And he explains that um, what is happening to Giorgio is a result of her traveling both into a different dimension and then through time. And essentially her cells are uh, trying to find their way back to their original place. Like they're rejecting the fact that she has jumped through so many things. Um, And he explains this by saying during the temporal wars, they had one particular Starfleet officer who had also jumped multiple dimensions and time as a result of the Romulan ship that came through the Kelvin timeline. <gasps> Spock! But this left a big question for me, which is why I was like, well, is he just saying this? Because I was like, Spock has traveled through time, okay. dimensions, all okay, of these ba- different places. Ba- like, Back up, back up. 
Yes. What did he say about the Kelvin timeline exactly? So he said the only other instance they've had this happen to someone on their record was this particular um, Starfleet officer who traveled through time as a time uh, soldier, um, but he was also originally from the Kelvin timeline. Okay, because the Romulan ship in the Kelvin movie came mm-hmm. from the Prime Universe yes. and then went into the Kelvin. Correct. So you're talking about the opposite trip. Right. Hmm. My understanding of the Kelvin Or are we in the Kelvin line? What? Right. Yeah. My understanding of the Kelvin-verse is that instead of having um, wh- wh- goatees, evil goatees, they're all just like super sexy A-list actors. Yes. Yep. So, <laughs> so they're going to recast everybody? <laughs> <laughs> Who's your even sexier A-list ca- actor? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so It's definitely not Spock. But yeah, the, at the end of the explanation, I was like, but what about Spock? So, but I know we don't, I, I can't remember what Spock's official like cause of death was, but it just seems very accelerated in Giorgio's case, if this is something that happens to people. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll have to see next week. But it was like a very tantalizing tease. So way to go, Ready Room. If that's the case, I wonder if that's their way of taking the character and somehow shooting her individually back in time to uh, start their Section 31 show. <laughs> yeah, this is all about getting her right. spin off for sure but right. um at least it's also fun. deal with um like they've been talking about how the space between the two dim- like dimensions has been getting bigger so it's perhaps mm. that's why her sort of issues have accelerated um and is happening to her now is a possibility so i don't know oh yeah um stress-free k says colber mentions mm-hmm. interdimensional displacement as yep. a possible cause for jo- Giorgio's illness in this episode. That's true. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, we're done with spoilers. I'm taking off the really sweet banner yes. I made. Yeah. So good. Thanks. Anything else to say about this episode, guys? Gave us a lot to talk about. I, I guess we yeah. should wrap it up. It's been about an hour and so or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you all so much for joining us on the pod this week. Remember, you can find us live on YouTube and everywhere else. Every Thursday, talking Trek at 9 p.m. Central. Yes, and do not forget to subscribe to the audio version of this podcast as well. We uh, we could really use those download numbers, and we appreciate you all so much, um, our listeners and our live watchers. Uh, you can find all the links to where to subscribe at StarTrekPod.co. Also, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. We are wrapping up the episode right now, and that means you're going to have nothing to do after this which is a perfect time to go to patreon.com slash Star Trek pod and make that per episode donation. Give us a two bucks an episode and join us in the private exclusive slack. We'd love to have you there and we appreciate all the support. And please remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Star Trek pod tweet about this episode. Also, as always, shout outs to the amazing Karen who helps run our Twitter and the amazing James worm who helps run our Insta. Uh, Mariah, where can we find you online? I'm at Mariah Gossett on all platforms. That's Mariah with a Y and a Gossett with two S's and two T's. Grant Davis. Baron Von Grant. 
And we're pretty sure Clyde will be back next week. You can find him. I don't remember what his handles are. And you can find me. We have to rescue Instagram. him from the nebula. He's, he's, he's <laughs> at Clyde Haynes. At Clyde Haynes. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mike Moody Garcia. Live long and prosper. Bye. Bye. Lorca lives. <laughs> <laughs>